Hey, Hannah, it's been a little while since we've done an episode of the podcast. Yes, we took a bit of a summer hiatus, but I think the audience will really enjoy this new episode where we heard from Mick. Mick usually shares her journey with bipolar on TikTok and Instagram at MickB underscore it me, but she took time out to write a letter to her younger self and speak with us. Yeah, and the conversation that you had with her was really wonderful. Uh, you all covered a lot of important topics, um, including, you know, experiencing suicidal ideation at a young age and what, you know, a mixed episode looks like, both topics we don't really talk about enough. So it, it was great. Yeah, she also talked about navigating school while experiencing symptoms of bipolar before getting a diagnosis, what it's like being open about her mental health on social media, and using humor in real life situations to educate people about bipolar disorder. For sure. It was a really powerful episode, and I'm so excited for our audience to hear it now. Um, before we jump in, a couple pieces of housekeeping. As you all know, we've said it before, I will continue to say it again, but you can always submit your letter over at dbsalliance.org. And as a reminder, if you have uh, a second and you really like this podcast, it's super helpful to us if you can rate that podcast um, or subscribe. It really helps us with our work. Dante, anything else? Yeah, those ratings and reviews are important and help our podcast chart. And without further ado, I think we should hear from Mick. Dear Mick, do you remember the first time we realized something was wrong? Not incorrect or unfair, I mean, the time we realized that what we were experiencing wasn't normal. It was fifth grade, right after our mom and stepdad divorced, and we moved to the middle of nowhere. We weren't doing great. Things were tough at home, and this feeling took over. We felt a shift in ourselves. At the time, we didn't understand, but now I know it was the first time we experienced suicidal ideation. We were 10 years old. Of course, there were many other times too. Not every high school freshman locks themselves in their rooms for entire weekends, binge watching a comfort show to escape and cope. Not every 15 year old only sleeps a few hours every night with no issue, starting entire creative projects while feeling incredibly agitated and irritable. Not every 17-year-old suddenly tries to commit suicide a week before college starts, following a summer of relentless, hopeless, intrusive thoughts and self-destructive, impulsive decisions. Looking back, I think we always knew something was wrong. We just didn't quite understand what. But we wanted answers, so we started looking. Mom took us to a therapist who treated us like the child we really weren't at 15. Another one, when we were 18, told us our intrusive suicidal thoughts sounded like a demonic issue. The one our freshman year of college that didn't provide anything but a concerned look and book recommendations. And despite all of that, we kept trying to make changes for the better. We wanted to be better. Then we hit a moment where we really knew something had to change. We were incredibly reckless our first college semester, 
but also fell into periods of deep despair. What we felt wasn't normal and it scared us. We started a mood journal to track what we were feeling and we started looking into possibilities for what we were experiencing, all while trying to succeed at college. And we made it through. We got all A's and one B, our first year of college. We survived dad's passing right after exams, mainly because we fell into a manic episode, but nonetheless, we did it. And then when that manic episode started getting worse and worse to where we felt like crawling out of our skin, we knew we had to do something. We talked with someone from high school who had bipolar disorder, and suddenly things started to make sense. We went to a psychiatrist, we got a bottle of antipsychotics and a follow-up appointment for two weeks out, at which we were diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. And that was three years ago. I want you to know how proud I am of you. Just three years ago, you fought a panic attack, and major paranoia the entire walk to the appointment. You sat in that lobby trying not to burst into tears, and you got us the help we needed. I know it was hard, but you did it, and you changed everything for us. We've hit a lot of highs and lows since then. We've taken our medication every single day, had it increased and changed dozens of times to fight off episodes and side effects. We learned how to manage our episodes and prevent them through research, trial, and error. No one told us about mixed episodes. No one told us how important sleep was, but we stuck to a sleep schedule. No one told us how important a daily routine was for noticing and preventing episodes, but we created and stuck to one. We changed our entire lifestyle to maintain stability. We were so proud. But no one told us that, even then, episodes could and would still happen. And I'm so, so sorry that you didn't know. But I want you to know you were amazing. Making almost all A's, cooking healthy meals, exercising at the gym, or going on daily walks, doing yoga several times a week, even every day for a while. I'm so proud of you. And I want you to know that it's okay that you got discouraged when you had episodes anyway. I don't blame you for somewhat giving up on that healthy lifestyle, because to you, it didn't seem to matter either way. That was the year of one, two, three, four episodes that I can remember. And it landed you in a bad place, both mentally and in your relationships. But you did something amazing throughout all of that. You started talking about bipolar disorder online. We've always had a knack for coping through jokes, and that's exactly what we did. And then something crazy happened. People started watching. A lot of people. And even more amazing, you took that as the motivation to learn more and share what you knew. You helped people laugh through the pain of living with bipolar disorder, and you helped yourself accept that part of you. We went from barely telling any of our friends or family to introducing it in any conversation where it was relevant, even getting millions of views online. You had the courage to share the good, the bad, the scary, and the funny about what we go through. 
You validated those who experienced the same things that you did, but never felt like they could talk about it. And while you helped so many people, you also helped yourself. We had a very deeply internalized stigma about bipolar disorder, and you worked through that by being vulnerable online. We made a lot of mistakes. We got ourselves together, we got ourselves help, we put in the work, and that wasn't fair. We should never have had to go through what we did, especially not alone. We did the best that we could with what we had, and we did a good job. Bipolar doesn't define you, it's not who you are, but it is a part of our experience, and I'm grateful for where it took us. We never thought we'd be running around online making TikToks with old heart-shaped glasses on our head while talking about mania. We never imagined the advocacy we would do and the people we would work with to do that. We always wanted to help, and now we get to help on a bigger scale than we ever thought possible. We almost didn't make it through college. Now, we're going on to graduate school. We have some amazing people in our life now. People who support us in and out of episodes. People who understand and care so much about us. You need a solid support system. You cannot do everything alone. The right people won't hurt you. They'll make you feel safe. You have so much to look forward to. Friends like family, family like friends, an online community of people like you, and a love for yourself that changes everything. So trust your intuition with people. Let your friends in, have alone time, don't overwork yourself, find time for your passion projects. Remember that episodes are inevitable and that's okay. We can't always prevent them, but we can manage how much they affect us. Bipolar disorder isn't a sentence to a life of misery. It doesn't always get better, but it does get easier, I promise. Most of all, don't let anything or anyone, yourself included, keep you from taking care of yourself and reaching for the stars. You are capable of so much and you're going to do amazing things. Love, Future Mick. Thank you so much, Mick, for sharing your story with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to be able to share my story, and I hope that it helps some people. Oh, I'm sure it will. Could you tell our audience what that experience of writing a letter was like for you? Um, well, it was definitely very emotional. You know, at first I started writing it, and I, I don't know, I didn't think it was going to get to me that easily mm-hmm. or that much. I just sort of felt like I was, you know, recounting the past events. Um, But by doing that, I realized, again, you know, what I went through and also how far I've come. So it was both sad and also empowering, I think, to look back at all that I've overcome and where I am now. And also, you know, um, realizing how excited younger me would be. And I I really like that I am what she had to look forward to. 
it kind of jumped one of my questions. I was going to ask oh. you that exact <laughs> thing. No, it's fine. How did you think, how, how would your younger self uh, respond to that letter? How do you think your younger self would have responded to that letter? Ooh, no, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think she would feel very comforted to know that it's going to be okay. Um, especially because I also have, um, anxiety. Um, and it was really bad for a long time. It wasn't until the past couple of years that I started, um, like getting treated for anxiety. And, and part of it was also like undiagnosed ADHD. So that kind of works together with it. Um, but I always had this like terror of, um, not knowing what was going to happen. Am I going to make it through this? Um, is everything going to work out? How is it going to work out? And so I think if I had had a snapshot of how it was going to go and knowing that it was going to get better, I think I would have felt, um, a lot more calm and safe. Yeah. I noticed something about your letter that's a little different than the other letters uh, we had. You use the pronoun we a lot, where a lot of other letters um, use you in referring to their past self. Was that intentional? Was it unintentional? I mean, it it was unintentional, sort of. It just felt natural. And at the same time, there are things that I still share with younger me. You know, Mm -hmm. the experiences we had are shared. And so because I still have them and they're still a part of me, I kind of felt like, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Cause you're still, you know, you're kind of like still on this journey with your younger self, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Cause she's always a part of me. And so in that way, I feel like we are still all one. So like if I were to, you know, stand in front of her and look at her face to face, I could say, I know you're feeling this because we have always experienced that. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, kind of like an ongoing conversation. With yeah. Yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's jump right into your letter here. Uh, you okay. begin your letter by trying to recall um, when you knew something was wrong and you come around to say, looking back, you always knew something was wrong. So I'm wondering at age 10, what exactly were those feelings you were having? Okay. So um, at age 10, uh, we were going through a huge transitional period. Um, and so because there was so much going on, um, my mom was a, a lot busier with what was what she was like dealing with. And so I was sort of processing my emotions on my own. Um, but I didn't know how to necessarily. And I think with uh, the predisposition of a chemical imbalance like bipolar disorder, um, my emotions triggered a lot more and were felt a little more intensely. And so, because I didn't really know how to self-regulate my emotions yet, um, when something upsetting would happen at school, and again, like I've always had social anxiety and I've never really quite fit in. So there was a lot going on at school, um, at least internally. Um, I felt a little detached from reality in a way, and was having some intrusive thoughts about hurting myself or committing suicide, um, even yeah. though I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. I, I hope we don't think in this society that 10-year-olds should be regulating their... Right. Um, yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I definitely understand, especially when you're 
like you said, things were changing in your life mm-hmm. and you were dealing with the early signs of a, or the early, yeah, the early signs of a mood disorder. So yeah. um, I'm imagining that was tough. Um, also throughout your opening paragraphs, you paint a picture of dealing with uh, the symptoms of your mood disorder and dealing with suicidal ideation. Did the people around you, friends, family, teachers notice? Um, I told my mom that mm-hmm. I just was very sad and started to cry and just told her that I wanted to die. Um, but nothing really happened uh, and nobody at school noticed. What conversation do you wish would have happened at that time? Um, I, I guess I just wish somebody would have noticed and, and asked more about it, um, about why I was feeling it. And even if I didn't know, letting me know that it was going to be okay and that I had someone there like you can't always make that those feelings go away, but you can know that people are there with you. You can know that there are ways to help um, and you can know that it's going to get better. Yeah. Even if you don't have the right words to say or don't know how to yeah. do it exactly. Just yeah. knowing that someone is in your corner is immensely yeah. helpful. Yeah. And also just like for someone to say like, hey, that's not normal and it's okay that it's not normal but you don't have to be experiencing this and you really should never have to experience this. Because right. I think for me, like those kind of feelings are just kind of like normalized. Um, and, you know, even still when I do hit an episode, I do have suicidal ideation sometimes and it's just kind of casual, you know, it's just like normal for me, but at, you know, at 10 years old, I don't know what is normal for other students and what's not. So just having someone to notice would have been worth a lot. Yeah, we do a lot here to um, expand the education of talking about emotions. It still seems very taboo to have children talk about their emotions. And it seems like, you know, you would have benefited if, because you're assuming, right, that no other 10-year-old in your class is going through this. But in reality, we don't know that. That is true. Um, because, you know, in this society, we're not equipped to talk about our, I'm 30 and I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about (laughs) emotions. So (laughs) we would start the education a little earlier. It it might help there. Yeah. Yes, Um, I agree. (laughs) Um, so at 15, your mom takes you to a therapist who treats you like a, a very young child, I'm assuming. And I'm sure that's not uncommon for people in your position. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Right. So I don't know that she necessarily treated me as like a really young child, but she treated me as an adolescent. Yeah. But I, I've, you know, partially I've always just kind of been like an old soul, but I also just grew up really quickly. Um, And when you're dealing with manic and depressed episodes that go for months at a time, you don't really have the child experience. And so at 15, I felt and also seemed a lot older than I actually was. Mm -hmm. And so I was just kind of confused why she was like speaking to me the way she was. I was like, ma'am, can we just have a conversation? Like, um, um, like I understand what you're saying and I like don't need you to explain it a certain way. Like I got it. I'm just here to like get some help. Yeah, I, I guess help me understand a little bit. So are you saying because of the symptoms of your mood disorder and what was going on in your life at the time, it caused you to grow up a little faster? 
Yeah. And you know, not everybody responds that way. That's why I'm right. saying like, you know, part of it was just the way that I am and was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say going through something as intense as a mood disorder or like bipolar disorder, um, especially, you know, I also had anxiety and ADHD. Um, it it there's a weight on your shoulders. There's a lot more you have to deal with and things feel a lot more like life and death because in some cases they are. Um, and so that did kind of cause me to mature a bit faster. Gotcha. And you, you're going into this office and you just want to have a regular conversation. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never really got the whole, uh, talk to teachers or like professors or, you know, older adults, like they're different. I was just, I, I just talked to them. Like I would talk the to people. anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you there. I, I tend to think the same way. Like mm-hmm. it, it's a person I can talk to them like I would any other person. Yeah. 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 Um, you continue to see clinicians, uh, you get concerned looks and book recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this is also, it's a little bit more complicated, but yeah, she, that therapist just kind of like, she just looked really like concerned when I would talk about what I was mm-hmm. experiencing. Um, but I think the way that I talked about it and still, even now the way I talk about, um, how I'm struggling or when I've struggled, I apparently just seem like I have it all together. Like, yeah, I feel like dying, but it's okay. Like, I'm good. Like, I don't know. I think it's partially because of that. And also like, I can look at that situation and I understand what's going on. Like I can identify everything and I'm very self-aware and I know theoretically, logically what to do. And so because of that, I think that was part of why she sort of just was like a sounding board, I think. Uh, and then she recommended, oh, what is it called? Um, it's this, I think it's a Buddhist book on like, not meditation, but just like living day to day in a peaceful way. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, that was what she suggested to me. And there, there were some other books. I didn't go to her for very long. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a part in these episodes, and I'm sure Hannah uh is laughing or is gonna laugh when she hears this but there's always part of this episodes where I relate to um <laughs> the person that we're talking to and uh I can definitely relate to everything is falling apart but me just being like no it's fine That's, I'll see okay. <laughs> yeah it's okay yeah. <laughs> all right and then someone you know on the outsider like no we gotta do something yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's pretty funny. Uh, it was even like, even the other day I was, um, I had just gotten home from doing laundry and my roommate was like hanging out, just kind of talking to me while I'm like putting up my clothes. And I have, I'm sorry, this is, this is kind of a, a bunny trail, but I'll, I'll finish quickly. I have a lot of clothes, um, like too many clothes. And so because of that, um, I just have like a mountain of dirty laundry always because I don't have space for everything. Mm-hmm. But I recently got like got rid of so many clothes. And so I was like, great, I'm going to do an entire load of laundry and it's going to clear up like that, you know, dirty laundry pile and it's going to be great. And so I put up my laundry and I start putting, you know, the stuff I didn't wash in the laundry basket and it looks the same. It looks the exact same. And so I'm like, like jokingly, like sort of um, like not like yelling, but like, why do I have so many clothes? I just washed these. And I'm like stuffing clothes in the laundry basket. And my roommate is just standing there. I was like, this humanizes you. (laughs) 
because I'd like mental issues and all like I just I guess really seem like I have it together yeah no I'm I literally am the same way I call myself cleaning my desk all the time and so I'll take all the sticky notes off I'll uh, put up all the papers and then like a day later it looks the exact same yeah. yes um so Mick you talk about finding yourself in a place where you had to take your mental health into your own hands mm-hmm. and one of the first things you did was start this mood journal where did you get that idea to start the mood journal and how did it help you um yeah so I this was like another moment where like had I been dealing with these sort of things for years yeah but for some reason like in that moment it really felt like this is this is wrong like this is not normal um and I was just having like a a cry just like a really intense cry but I didn't really know about what and so I I called my mom and my mom's a licensed therapist actually um yeah and um she suggested like well why don't you keep a mood journal and you know try to keep track of what you're experiencing um and I did really try and I think I did okay but again undiagnosed ADHD so like continuing to journal every day and remember everything that I experienced was uh tricky um and so but I I did track it all and then right before I went to the psychiatrist's appointment I forgot it um so it really didn't do me that much good um but I think that was more just a, a me thing <laughs> Yeah, but now you've sparked my, you piqued my interest here. So at 10, you told your mom, who we now found, we find out is a licensed therapist, that you were having these um, issues. And she responded in a way that I didn't, I don't think a therapist would respond. Yeah. So, I mean, like when I had that moment, I was like crying and like, mom, I want to die. Like she hugged yeah. me and she was like, it's going to be okay. I don't think she really, actually knew what to do mm-hmm. um and you know this is actually uh, this is kind of an issue with the mental health field and uh therapists but um when my mom got her counseling degree um she took one course over the dsm one course mm-hmm. to cover the entire dsm in one semester and that's what they do they don't really teach you about <clears throat> like mental illnesses or disorders they sort of just give you the tools to apply and then expect you because you have to do like certain um like certification like to like recertify you have to do different um like trainings for different issues and so usually therapists will like pick a few topics that they focus on and specialize in yeah um but at the time like my mom had gotten her counseling degree but then she just became a stay-at-home mom and so yeah she she didn't she really only knew like the sort of stigmatized stereotypes of um, bipolar disorder. And so she never guessed. And my dad was also a licensed therapist. um, And he didn't, I mean, I didn't like see my dad as often as my mom because they divorced when I was like three, but yeah, he didn't notice either. Actually, nobody noticed. (laughs) That's, that's the thing. Like, I think partially because for me, a a lot of my bipolar disorder is internalized. And so um, because I had like so much anxiety, especially I was, it, it stayed a, a lot of it in my head. Um, not completely obviously, but, um, it, it kept me from really, I guess, showing the stereotypical signs of bipolar disorder. And so I think that's why she didn't notice, but also, I mean, 
if you think about it, no parent wants to come to terms yes. with their child not being quote unquote okay. And so I don't think my mom wanted me to be suffering. And so unfortunately that turned into her not acknowledging it or yes. really being honest with herself. Yeah. And I want to be very clear to our audience and anyone who's listening to this, that I am not saying that your mother did anything wrong in that situation. She was probably just as lost as you were in that yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and understanding suicidal ideation in children is probably very difficult. Yeah. Now that I think about that, that's probably um, not something a lot of people are used to. Again, that's probably some of that like normalization. Like, yeah, I like kind of wanted to kill myself at 10, but it's like, whatever. And then like, if I were to, like, if my niece were to be having those thoughts, I'd be like, oh my God. Like, (laughs) yeah. And you never, like kids say all types of things. They do. Yeah. 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 Um, But it is important that we listen Mm-hmm. And again, that education about talking about your emotions and expressing yeah. them. Yeah. After your first year of college, it sounds like the mania got to a place where you knew you needed more information and more help. How did you start to gain this more information and more help? And then what did it feel like to finally realize that it was bipolar? Right. Um, okay. So I think it was my second semester of my freshman year of college that um, I started looking into things a little bit. Um and of course, my mom was giving suggestions. She thought it was like a uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder or something like that. depression. I don't remember what it's called. It's PMDD. Um, and it, it's usually with people who have like periods um, and it just makes them really moody. So that's kind of what her suggestion was. But I I wasn't convinced. Um, and so I, I looked into like bipolar disorder and other mental illnesses. Um, and then I, you know, I'd kept the mood journal. But the manic episode that I had started out pretty calmly um but as i neared like the the next semester of the fall um i i started getting really paranoid so i was you know i was going into stores to get what i needed but i was like fr- like almost frantically like checking behind me seeing if people were looking at me i was you know moving really quickly through the store trying to get in and out um and i I just sort of felt like crawling out of my own skin. Um, and so when it started getting to that point, uh, I was just, I just really wanted it to stop. And so it, I think it was, it took like maybe a week or two um, from like calling and setting the appointment to the appointment happening. Uh, but I spoke with uh, a girl I knew from high school and she had a bipolar disorder. Um, and so I was just kind of asking her questions. Um, and another reason I looked at bipolar disorder specifically is because my half brother got a bipolar diagnosis, okay. um, which now we're not sure if that's exactly what it was, but regardless, that kind of showed me like, since there's a high genetic probability uh, within families of bipolar disorder, um, that made me look into it. The, the biggest, uh, I guess, obstacle with that was that I mainly or most commonly experienced mixed episodes. Um, and that's never talked about, like when you look up articles on bipolar disorder, that's never brought up and nobody talks about it. And so it wasn't until I talked to that girl from high school, um, that I realized like mixed episodes 
are a thing and are part of bipolar disorder. Um, so then when I did finally like go to the psychiatrist, I was sitting there, I was like, I was talking so fast and I was like shaking and just like just very clearly manic. Um, and so I, I didn't get a diagnosis until like a couple of weeks after that. Um, but when I did get the diagnosis, I was just so relieved. Um, mainly because the medication, like for once, like I felt somewhat calm and it was, yeah, it was incredibly relieving. And at the same time, like once I got past that, oh, thank God, like this is going to be okay. Like I'm going to be okay. Then I did have to, I guess, sort of mourn the idea that I was going to have a normal life because I was never going to, and I'm never going to be normal. Um, I'm always going to have these experiences and that's something I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. And so with that, there was this mourning period where I just had to cry and be sad and come to terms with what this meant for me. Yeah, you seem very knowledgeable about yourself, like who you are in the moment experiencing these things. So when you do get this diagnosis and you do have this relief come over you does that help did that help like redefine you or help you like come to terms with who Nick actually is yeah I was like oh I'm not crazy I mean or like I mean yes but no like I like these feelings and the the things I've experienced they weren't necessarily my faults like obviously you know the way that you live and your lifestyle can definitely affect and does affect like bipolar disorder but like it wasn't just me I wasn't just broken and I wasn't a mess I was just mentally ill um and so that did that did help me reframe a bit um but I, at the same time I shifted from oh okay so there's actually a reason and I'm not just like crazy to oh there's a reason and I'm still a little like, this is always going to affect me. And, uh, you know, then I had to come to terms with does bipolar define me? And am I a bad person because of bipolar disorder? Am I a difficult person to love because of bipolar disorder? Um, is this like my entire personality? Um, because like when I first started taking the medication, the boyfriend I had at the time, he was like, chill about it. He's like, well, I mean, just, is this going to change who you are? And at the time, I didn't really care. I was just like, please, God, give me medication so I can get better. But I think that's a common thought a lot of people have is, is this going to change me? And I kind of had to figure out where does bipolar fit in with who I am? How much does it affect and change? And so I've, I've kind of come to terms with it being um, just like an altered state of mind. So it's just like a different version of myself. Definitely not my favorite version. Um, but that's kind of why I say I have bipolar disorder and not I am bipolar because right. it doesn't affect me 24 hours a day, you know, all the time for the rest of my life. Um, it can definitely occupy a significant amount of my time, but it's not who I am. Like I, I am not an impulsive, reckless person. Typically I'm usually very uh, careful and cautious and um, calculated. And so when I would be manic and making reckless impulsive decisions you know having these moments of what is wrong with me like why am I doing this like I don't know 
who I am and is this me or is it not me? So in a roundabout way of answering your question, um, I, I, I came to terms with the fact that um, I, there's like a core me, there's a core Mick and bipolar disorder is just like a remixed version that sometimes comes out and is just not my favorite. And you just kind of have to come to terms with that. Yeah. Let's jump back a bit. You talked uh, a little bit about uh, experiencing mixed episodes. Can mm-hmm. you educate our audience on what mixed episodes are, at least how you experience them? Mm-hmm. So um, in the DSM, a mixed episode is uh, a type of bipolar episode where you're experiencing like one type of episode, whether it's manic, hypomanic, or depressive. And you also experience three symptoms of the other type of episode um, consistently, like for most of the day, almost every day. That's kind of the way that they go about it. So, and everyone experiences this uh, differently. For me, it was like having the casual, you know, some like the casual suicidal thoughts of depression but the energy of mania to do it. And so I actually made a TikTok about that years ago. It just like sort of uh, comedically, you know, uh, have like doing a skit on it, just kind of like role-playing it out um, to like better, I guess, outline what a mixed episode is like because you can feel high energy and have these weird, not weird, but these like dysphoric, periods of time where you just feel off and it feels like the world is ending and nothing is ever going to be okay or you can not need sleep because of mania and not get you know as much sleep as normal but then be exhausted even then because of the depression and it's usually more of like a it's like a a battle between the mind and the body so both manic and depressive episodes affect the body um like physically Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just like mentally, uh, but like a manic episode for me, it typically affects more of my brain and my thought process and what I'm doing. Whereas depression is more of a very physical, like drainage of energy. It's not necessarily always sad. It's just like my battery is completely depleted and there's nothing I can do to charge it. And so in a mixed episode, often my brain is going so fast, but I'm exhausted. But the thing about mixed episodes is that it's not consistent like that because you're going to have one episode that is more prevalent than the other in a mixed episode. And so like I, they usually come from manic episodes for me. That's when I get into a mixed episode. And so Mm -hmm. I will have all the energy and the racing brain. And I'm like, um, I say reckless, but it's really just, I don't care about the consequences, even if like, it's about other people. So I don't care about like, you know, other people as much. And I'm just doing my own thing because I am just kind of like riding the highs and like, this is awesome. Like, this is amazing. Like I can just do whatever I want. Um, But then what really hits me in the mixed episodes is the uh, suicidal thoughts, because they're not just thoughts, they're intrusive thoughts. They are me being unable to think about anything but hurting myself Mm -hmm. and so in the past I've pretty much always been okay about just pushing through it I mean there was my like one attempt right before uh college started but I've had several mixed episodes since then and I've always been able to just sort of like 
push through those kind of like suicidal uh, thoughts that were intrusive. Um, and so not everybody does experience those, but those are kind of like the dysphoric periods of a mixed episode where your, your body is just, it's going through it. It's both high and low at the same time. Got it. You mentioned your TikTok uh, a little bit and you've done something that is super courageous. You talk openly about your diagnosis online and share it with a huge following with strangers all over across the internet. Um, one, I think that that's incredible. Uh, can you talk more about what it's like to express yourself this way online and share your experience online? Yeah. Um, so I was terrified to do it <laughs> at first. Um, I, I like, I, there were so many people I just didn't even want to tell when I got my diagnosis, friends, family, whatever. Um, and so, but like <laughs> I was having an episode and so manic me I was like, ah, these are funny jokes, bipolar jokes, let's post them. And so it started out small at first, you know, but p- people thought it was funny. Like they did enjoy it when I did it every now and then. And so there was one TikTok in particular that just, it got a lot of attention. And I, I realized how much people don't actually know about bipolar disorder. So that's when I started, you know, some of the more just like basic educational things on bipolar disorder. And that absolutely blew up. I mean, they got like thousands and thousands of views. I gained like 30,000 followers in a really short amount of time. And so, um, it was very difficult to put myself out there and be vulnerable like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically kind of struggle with vulnerability. I've, I've gotten a lot better about it, but like two years ago, oh, I really hated being vulnerable. And so um, just putting that out there online, it was hard. And so I, I definitely went the more educational and like funny route um, for a long time, just because that was more comfortable. Um, and everybody needs to be able to laugh at the, things that they experience uh with their mental illness and it just kind of makes us feel better and we can sort of like bond over it and then we don't feel as alone um and then in the past maybe i guess a year like in the past year i I finally was getting more vulnerable with like the sad parts or the parts i'm not proud of like like you know specific stories or just the way it really feels if you think about it sort of existentially and it, again, it was really hard, but it needed to be done both for others and for myself because it helped me come to terms with it. It helped me process it because I don't really talk about my bipolar disorder except like if it's happening or like making jokes, but I don't ever really, and I'm just now realizing this as I'm talking, but I like don't ever really talk about what it feels like in a way that's not comedic uh, or um, in like intellectualizing it. So the reason I started doing the more emotional things was, I think there was like a trend or two where the sound, the song was just like sadder. And, um, what I do with trends is just, you know, try to put my own spin on it, uh, with how that trend looks like for bipolar disorder or how that song makes me feel about bipolar disorder. Right. And so I did a more serious TikTok with this one sound. And I think that's kind of what started it. But I, I also just, I just hit, I think, a period of being sad about it. And, you know, that was my way of coping with it and, and processing it. 
So I, I think that's really what made the switch. Um, but I just, I kind of go in, in waves of, you know, whether it's more like here, I'm answering a question. This is what you need to do. Or this is hilarious. Um, or like, I'm really sad. So you're going to get a lot of sad content. Um, but I think like those first couple of videos, like sort of opened the floodgates to the possibilities of me doing more serious, sad ones. Um, cause then I just actually had a place to process what I was feeling instead of just like, not even intending to, but just like keeping it all inside. Do you think your younger self could imagine that you'd be sharing this part of your journey online? Oh my God, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, and this is insane. And I don't know that anyone will really believe me, but I don't, I don't like being perceived. I, if I go in public, I don't want anybody looking at me. I don't really like to go in public anyways. And so uh, when I was first starting out with like TikTok, like, yeah, like it's fun to like see the numbers. And at the same time, it was like nobody of real consequence, you know? Right. So it was like not a big deal. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> in the last couple of years, like people I know follow me and have found me and like people I don't even know that well. And then, you know, they'll come and say like, this is like really awesome. Like, thank you for like posting this. Like, this is really cool and very informational. Um, so I, I, but I don't think that younger me would have ever expected or wanted that to have her very personal thoughts and experiences, both good and bad, just out there on display for people to see, but uh, mainly people that like she knew. Cause right. like, if it's somebody I'm never going to see, like, okay, fine, whatever. But if like people I know and like coming up to talk to me about it just, you know, at school or whatever, that's, that's a whole different story. So I don't know that she really would have liked that, but for sure she would not have imagined it. And I think she would have come to the same, you know, conclusion as I have that it doesn't really matter anymore about whether I wanted to be in the public eye or not because of what I'm able to do. Gotcha. Well, before we let you go, uh, we always have our guests share their favorite wellness tip with our audience. So what is one thing you do to help with your wellness or wellness tip that you would like to share? Uh, so the biggest one that people like mental health professionals like sort of say like, yeah, you should keep your routine. They mm. don't tell you a how to do it and b how important it is. So for people with bipolar disorder, keeping stability within the body and the brain helps keep you from having episodes because your body is staying stable and consistent. So that includes everything from sleep, especially sleep to exercise to even like when you eat meals and like what you eat. So it's not so much about like trying to be like the healthiest person ever. It's just, you have to routinely take care of yourself. So I, I do my best, but like, I, I try to go to bed at the exact same time every night, like nine o'clock. I know it's early nine o'clock. I'm like taking my meds. 9.30, I'm like getting ready for bed and like calming down my brain. And then I am asleep by 10.30. And then I'm usually up by 7 or 7.30. And so because the disruption of sleep is so, or it can be so detrimental to uh, people with bipolar disorder, that was something mm -hmm. that I have really tried to prioritize in the past few years. And that's what I always tell people. I always tell people, you have to sleep. Like if you're starting an episode, you can mitigate those symptoms or even if it's early enough, stop the episode by getting enough consistent sleep. You don't want to get too much because then you can, you know, tell your body that you're sort of heading towards a depressive episode, but you have to have a, a routine for the rest of your life. It can, you know, adjust obviously, but you have to have 
a consistent, stable platform to live your life in or on. Excellent. I appreciate that. Uh, highlighting the importance of routine. Um, I think everybody can benefit from that. Um, Mick, we talked a lot about your TikTok and your social media presence. Where can people find and follow you? Uh, so on Instagram and TikTok, uh, my handle is mickb underscore it me. Very creative. I know. Um, it does rhyme though. <laughs> and, um, uh, on those, I have link trees in my bio, so you can find all my other stuff. But I have a website. It's uh, officialmcb.com, where I have uh, merch, a little bit more about myself and like my advocacy, and also some resources, uh, which is where you guys are. Actually, you're on the resources page. Thank you. Um, we appreciate that. <laughs> and I also have a YouTube channel that I haven't posted on in a long time because it takes a lot of effort and energy. But there are maybe 10 or so um I almost said episodes, videos on bipolar disorder and different topics like, um, you know, supporting your loved ones or being in a romantic relationship with someone who has bipolar disorder and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think that's every, oh, and I also have a, uh, if you go to those, those links, I have a discord for people with bipolar disorder. Um, it's called McBee's server for bipolar bitches and they might have to bleep that out, but that's just, <laughs> uh, that's what it's called. And there's like over 500 of us, if you would like to join, uh, and you know, have some community and learn things. Yes, please check all those things out in your spare time. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Mick. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me and, and dealing with my, my ramblings. <laughs> this episode was hosted by DBSA Programs Manager, Hannah Zeller, and Digital Communications Manager, Dante Freeman. You can support DBSA and more shows like this one by making a gift today head over to dbsalliance.org slash donate. Your support can help make sure that no one feels alone. Thank you.